Hello! Hi! Welcome back! It is another episode of the Anhedonic Headphones Podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 3, or the 51st episode overall. I am Kevin Krein. I appreciate you being here. I will save all of my fine print for the end of the show. So let's get right into it with my guest. Four years ago when this show started out, the conceit was me interviewing my coworkers at the time. And I have strayed very far from that. But my guest today was a coworker roughly 14 years ago when we both worked at a radio station. He was the news director. Uh, I had a couple other gigs there, far less prestigious roles. I have not done the best job at keeping in touch with him after we ceased to be colleagues, but having him on the show provided an opportunity for us to catch up, specifically about our shared interest in similar avenues of contemporary popular music. So please, as you are able, give a pleasant welcome to my guest, Scott Peterson. I'm Scott Peterson, and I am uh, freshly out of the radio business. I was news director at KYMN in Northfield and worked for the Minnesota News Network statewide radio. I was in radio for about 15 years, and I just started a a new job with the state of Minnesota, which I enjoy quite a bit, and I'm a lifelong music listener, lover, and uh, player of music. Yeah, so before we even get into like how, I mean, we used to work together and at the radio station in Northfield. But I wanted to ask, you were in a band at one point, and I wanted to ask if you still play, if you are in a band still, or like what the status of all that is in like your life right now. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, you know, I am still in a band. We don't play out very often because as I get older, the, the act of booking a gig is less and less interesting to me. And um but i but i do get together with my band uh probably at at least once or twice a month and we practice and and if 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 one of those guys step up to get us a gig we are gig ready okay (laughs) just putting it out there putting it out there for folks yeah if if there are any bookers out there listening to this book pop cycle we're solid we'll uh, we'll bring a crowd in for you and we you won't swear or do anything like that. You're not um, gonna let. You're not gonna set the sa- the stage on fire or like destroy all your instruments or anything. Well, specifically, I did not agree to not doing that. So. <laughs> the the funny thing is, is uh, having been in touch with you on social media, Kevin, over the course of the, the last several months, sort of reconnecting and seeing what your musical tastes are. Right? One of the things I always liked talking to you about was uh, kind of a shared love for music and how, um, I mean, even even back 10 years ago, how long ago it was, we used to talk about music a lot and how it was, you know, it could be therapeutic to listen to. It's it's also therapeutic to play. And over the course of you know, the pandemic and everything else, I would say playing and listening to music for me personally helped, really helped me keep my head straight as much as I possibly could through all of that. It was a nice thing to help ground me. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're going to, I think we're probably going to get into like pandemic tunes, like comfort or like what we gravitated towards, towards the end of this, I think, at least with one of these songs that you picked. But 
we used to work together a long time ago at the radio station in Northfield, KYMN. You were the news director. I was a humble producer and wrangler of teenagers for a variety show on the weekends. And I also did like an hour every day during the week. And you were a guest on my show a couple of times. And I still think about that quite a bit. Like the soundtrack show that we did where you played that Flash Gordon song by Queen. Um, and so... I remember that as well. Yeah, and so I was... Um, for a while, I was like... I know that you, you left Kim Radio in, I think, 2011, I want to say. 2012, maybe? Mayhaps? I don't like... I have wanted to have you on the show for a while and I'm glad that you reached out and we reconnected because you have such a diverse taste and the conversations that we had in the days of yore are kind of like a prototype version of what I started doing with this podcast in terms of just like songs that you have a connection to that you can just like easily converse about. Um, and I think about I think about those episodes that we did together all the time, actually, because they were a blast. Um, so I'm really grateful that you were willing to put together this list and take some time out of your day to to talk. You were opening with the monkeys, which I was not surprised by at all because what I one thing that I know about you is that you love the monkeys. You you got to interview them, I think, or at least a couple of the members in the past during your time as a newsman. But so, at what at what point in your life are we starting with the monkeys, and then like of the songs in their body of work, how are we landing with this one? Well, the reason that I chose the monkeys is because other than what i had to listen to as a child in the car with my parents i think uh as far as i can remember the the monkeys is the first uh the first musical group that i that i really liked on my own that i wasn't sort of forced to listen to um growing up my parents listened to um what what at that time was modern country so we're talking in the in the late 70s oh okay um and you know that stuff like Waylon uh, jennings and willie nelson and dolly parton and crystal gale and stuff like that and i to this day i i love a lot of that music that i that i grew up listening to but the monkeys was the first thing that was sort of mine that i discovered on my own as far as music goes and you know of course a lot of it was tied to the fact that they were on tv and they were young and they were silly and they were you know they were they looked like adults acting like children and they also happened to sing and 
you know, for me growing up in the suburbs, I, I mean, anytime I saw somebody on TV with a guitar, I thought that was the coolest thing. So uh, the Monkees was kind of the first of that, and, and uh, it doesn't hurt that they had the best songwriters in the, you know in, in the country at the time writing a lot of their hits. So it wasn't it yeah. wasn't just that i was the right age for it to enjoy them it was that the, the songs are good and i still like them to this day and i still listen to the monkeys to this day with pleasant valley sunday of all the i mean they have a lot of songs like some of them are a little like some of them are silly some of them are more in earnest of the tunes like was this the first one that you gravitated towards as like a young listener or like like of their body of work how have you like selected this one like or why why did you pick this one over something else i liked pleasant valley sunday as a kid because it's as much as i was listening to lyrics as a as a seven-year-old uh it, it <laughs> felt like it, it, it felt like it was it has pleasant in the title, which I like, because that's uh, positive. So there was that going for it as far as the title. But then the, the lyrics described, um, in, a, in a subtle way, the uh, the sameness of, of a suburb or a suburban scene. And, of course, I miss the subtlety of sort of the downside of, of what could be seen as the... Uh, the genericness of a suburb and I just thought well they're kind of singing about my neighborhood that I live in because that's what it you know it, it reminded me about where did you grow like a, where did you grow up I grew up in a cottage grove which is okay uh, you know a suburb of St. Paul sure How many times have you seen the monkeys perform and then because i know that they played at the zoo the minnesota zoo when we still worked together and you went to that and kind of covered it and but like have you seen them a, a bunch of other times or like as an adult how has this music how have you carried this with you into adulthood uh, well, in, in working in radio, I, I did get an opportunity to interview uh, all of the monkeys except for uh, Mike at, at more than once over the course of my radio career. So that was a thrill. I got to actually uh, talk to the, you know, to Mickey and Davey and Peter a, a few times. Um, 
and, and that was great because obviously, you know, Mickey's the only one who is alive still. Today. Yeah. I've seen them live, I think, three times, and I've got a... Okay. I'm sitting in my home office right now, and I have the walls in my home office are plastered with, you know, pictures of things I've seen or people that I've interviewed or met with and, and just ephemera, stuff on the walls. And it, it, one of my most prized possessions is I've got a, a an original copy of the Monkees' first album. Oh, wow. And I, I took it to see the last time that uh, Mickey and Mike Nesmith were in the Twin Cities performing, which was not not that long ago. It was, uh, I'm horrible with time. It was over a year ago, but it was not terribly long ago. Um, and I brought that album cover to the show, hoping I could possibly get it signed. And um, there were other people there. I don't know if you've, if you've ever tried to get somebody's autograph at a show before, but there's there's kind of the pro guys who are there to get autographs to sell. Yeah. And they, you know, it's almost like they have the earpieces and they've got somebody scouting from a window somewhere else looking for someone to arrive at the venue so that they can track them down and get their autograph. They're, they're pros at it. They really know what they're doing. Um, but I just, having experience, having worked in radio, I tend to have a good eye for, well, that person looks like they might work backstage or with the band or you know, whatever. They look like they're affiliated with the band in one way or another. And I, I came across, as I was waiting to get their autographs before the show, the, the keyboard player for their band. And he was kind enough to get the road manager outside. And uh, the road manager came up and he saw that I had the album cover and he said, you know, what it's a story. What are you What are you looking for? And I said I just was hoping that I could maybe get this signed. And he said, Well, how long have you been a Monkees fan? And I said I would say I've probably been a Monkees fan since I was about nine or ten. And he said to me, If you would have said you've been a Monkees fan since you were eight, I would have brought it back and got it signed for you. <laughs> and I'm like, well, What are you doing to me, man? You can't. You can't be serious. And uh, he said, no, I'm not. And he took, the, he took the album cover back, and he got it signed by Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolan. Uh, so I have their signatures on a, on, on the, a copy of their first album. And uh, Mike Nesmith died not long after that. It was fairly soon after that. So I saw I, I that. I think it's, uh, as far as having music memorabilia goes, I. I'm really glad that I got that. And, and after Mike passed away, I uh, I emailed the road manager. I found his name and I emailed him and I said, "Thank you so much. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm I'm the guy you got, you know, Mike to sign the record in St. Paul, and I just wanted to let you know I really appreciate it." And he, he said, "Thank you for the nice words and glad to help out." Mike was always happy to help out the fans, so it was. Uh, I look at that almost every day and just think, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad I have that. He's bounded down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound just like a bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Let it all hang out cause we gotta run to make The boy 
was up thirsty in Atlanta, and there's beer in Texarkana, and we'll bring it back no matter what it takes. He's bound and down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? So the next song that you picked on here, I, I mean, I was familiar with the song, um, but I'm curious, Eastbound and Down by Jerry Reed. I'm very curious kind of like where this fits into your early life and like the, the traveling song, like the traveling nature of it, but then also the, the, the country and Western nature of it. Well, yeah, that's, that's what my, my parents were listening to, and I, I, I listened to it as a kid because I didn't have any choice, and so I felt like I liked it because it was all I had to listen to until I found the monkeys. But uh, Eastbound and Down would have been on the, the stations that my parents would have been listening to when I was a kid. I would have been about seven, I guess. And uh, they took me to see the movie Smokey and the Bandit, which is what the song is from, and I just... I loved the movie. I thought it was, you know, I think I figured this out later in life, but to me it it was almost a parallel to Star Wars. It was, it was just sort of a story about a good versus evil and chasing each other and, uh, and having adventures. And so to me, as much as I love Star Wars, I also love Smokey and the Bandit because I, it was just crazy to me. The characters were just as colorful to me as the Star Wars characters were. Um, um Jerry, I've never, yeah, but, I've never seen Star, I've never seen Smokey and the Bandit before, at all. It's never come <laughs> up. Well, I, I, I've got to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's one of those relics from the '70s that hasn't aged well in a lot of ways. Uh, I was just going to say how, how wildly problematic is it by today's standards? <laughs> Uh, I would say on a scale of one to ten of wildly problematic, it's going to probably reach in around seven and a half, eight maybe. Okay, I was like, does it does it pass the Bechtel test? Probably not. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of it uh, that 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 is just kind of unfortunate. But the the song is down and down. Uh, you know, as I got older and was writing songs myself and, you know, became somebody who could kind of understand what songs are about and what lyrics are trying to say, I've always been a, an appreciator of lyrics as an adult. And I think this and uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday, uh, Eastbound and Down and Pleasant Valley Sunday, are, are two of the first that they kind of told stories or painted pictures that were pretty specific and... Um, having seen the movie Smokey and the Bandit, the song tells the story of the movie in a way, more or less. And I, I love that aspect of it, is that every time I heard the song, in a way, I could sort of relive the movie. And as I got older, I came to appreciate much more about the song, such as, you know, Jerry Reed's guitar playing is phenomenal. He's, uh, he's a good, good country artist, good writer. He wrote some great songs, songs that Elvis covered. Um, so yeah, so for, for me, I picked that one because it's just so bouncy and it's got the banjo and it tells a story. It's almost like a relic from a different time. He's found. 
listen to a lot of like this era country music and so did you absolutely despise it as a kid and then eventually kind of come to appreciate it as an adult or like what was your relationship to it at the time that it was like what you were around yeah that's a good question i i liked it when i had no choice because it was all i knew and i, I think i just instinctively liked music i think most people do right you know Famously, I used to. I like to joke and say, famously, I don't like music. (laughs) Not a fan. Not a fan. No, 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 no. Uh, That's why I have this podcast. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So when I was younger, I liked it just because I didn't have a choice. And then as I became a teenager and started liking the Beatles and then my own thing, I I did not like country music. So. And then, okay. you know, I would say in the, in the 90s, the, the sound of it changed. And, and this is true of, uh, across a lot of genres in the 90s, but I'm not a big fan of, of how music from that era sounds or how it was produced. Uh, and so, like, country in the 90s started to get really polished and didn't, I, I absolutely hated all of that stuff. So it's... It's funny because, like, what you were describing is because, I mean, we are, I, I, I grew up in the 90s. Ni- I mean, like, I came of age in the 90s, and my mom started listening to country music exclusively in, I want to say, like, 1994. And so I have, like, this very vast knowledge of country music for about eight or nine years. And I, I hated it as a teenager, but as an adult, I was kind of like, just within the last couple of years, I'm like, oh, some of this is actually pretty good because it's like ingrained in me. And then I can like kind of appreciate it more, like a lot more now than I did when yeah. I was just like a little shithead teenager who didn't know anything. Well, and I, yeah, I think uh, as, I, as I'm getting as I'm getting older, I don't I don't hold as as deep of grudges against musicians that I didn't like when I was younger. I used to I used to just I, I don't say hate very often, but I, I used to hate Bob Seger. Uh, <laughs> and then I just I reached a point like where like if I wanted to do is. If I wanted to do a stand-up act, I probably could have done 40 minutes of, of roasts on Bob Seger at a certain point in my life. But then one day, in fact, I think it was when I was working in Northfield, and this is totally true. I think, uh, you know, I was driving from Minneapolis to Northfield, and of course I was doing morning newscasts. So it probably would have been about 4.30 in the morning as I'm driving into town. 
and, uh, and, and Night Moves comes on, and I don't change the station. Instead, I turn it up, and I'm like, this is, this is a pretty catchy song. Uh, and so stuff that it used to just absolutely royal me when I was when I was younger and thought I knew more than I do now, I, I accept those things now. In fact, I interviewed Garth you know Brooks that... a few years ago. And, you oh, know, you did? Just, How was that? He's an icon, you know? I mean, you... You have to appreciate somebody who, uh, you know, I guess it's akin to what, you know, like Taylor Swift, for example. It's, it's almost something like you you have a true talent to be almost universally loved for, for what you do. Uh, yeah. And I think you, you have to respect that, you know. I might not have liked Garth Brooks's music so much in college when it was really, really popular when I was going to college, but I, I came to appreciate him and his music a little bit later, um, again, as I sort of mellowed and realized, hey, everybody's got different tastes, you should, you should Did you, when you interviewed him, did you, did you ask him about Chris Gaines? <laughs> no, I, no, the, the, the circumstances of the interview is actually, he was, he was helping open a wing at, uh, the Children's Hospital here in town. Uh, oh, okay. A number of years ago, and so it was, it was kind of a little bit more about that, and he just he happened to be here doing that. Um, and I would not, in, in a short interview, if I had a if I had a long interview with him, I would for sure get to Chris Gaines, of course. I remember um, seeing Chris, Chris Gaines, Gaines on Saturday Night Live and thinking these songs aren't bad. I mean, I wrote a whole 20th anniversary think piece about Chris Gaines in 2019 because that shit has stuck with me through my entire goddamn life. And I love telling people about that whole thing because a lot of people don't remember that or aren't aware of that, that being a thing that happened. And I'm like, you don't remember when Garth Brooks did this weird concept album as another artist? And they're like, you, what are you talking about? And I'm like, let me tell you about Chris Gaines. Let me tell you about this whole thing. Think about... Think about the cojones that took. <laughs> I mean, it was almost too... It was, like, too big to fail, but then it failed. It was just, like... It was just, like... It was, it was just so wild to me. It was too big not to fail. Come on. He looked... He looked so incredibly different. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to insult, like, you know, saying that certain audiences only like one type of thing, but... Yeah. At that particular time, you you maybe could make the argument that country music fans were, you know, like in lockstep with their thing, and he what he was totally doing was not their thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But gosh, um, the, just the just the guts it took to take that on, I I think I salute you guys.
I'm trying to remember what if you if Olivia Newton-John played like a big role, like her music played like a big role in your life at some point, and I couldn't remember that. So I was surprised to see this on here, and I'm curious what the story is with this one. Uh, the story with this one is that uh, I was I was obsessed with her for for a, for a lot of my young life, and you know it, it kind of all ties together. I mean, she her first several singles were on the country charts, so she would have been on the stations that my parents were listening to. So. Um, I was hearing her sing country, and her, you know, her kind of high, sweet voice was one that whenever I heard her voice on the radio, I would, I, I, I liked it. It just was pleasing to me. And then, uh, you know, when Physical came out in in the in eighty or the early eighties, um, I just, you know, she had been in Greece, and she was beautiful so i realized oh i have a crush on olivia newton john (laughs) and and there she is on tv and she's she's singing but and she had this habit of which is brilliant whenever she was on tv if it was you know if she'd be on snl or solid gold or whatever it was they almost always lip sync back then, but she would look right into the camera when she was singing. And as a kid who had a crush on her, I was like, hey, she is looking right at me and singing this song. That's awesome. So I, I picked it because I had a crush on her. I had uh, heard her music early on in my life. And, and then when I was a little bit older and her music was popular with Physical and Make a Move on Me and Xanadu and all of those things, I would buy... I'd buy everything she put out just to listen to it, and I would wear the tapes up, the set tapes up. stop recording or like I haven't like followed her I mean I was I was aware of a lot of her, her music when I was growing up obviously from like Greece being on TBS all the time and like physical being just like uh, iconic track but like how long like when did she kind of like step away from performing or like releasing music regularly or is is she an artist that you kind of like left behind at a certain point I did leave her behind, unfortunately. Okay. She had only, you know, there was there was physical, and there was maybe one album or, or two after that that were still kind of in the shadow of her, uh, the height of her success, I guess. Um, although she did have, uh, she did have a, that song, they brought a song back on one of the first couple seasons of Stranger Things at the, where the kids all go to the dance at the end. 
and they play um, they play an Olivia Newton-John song, and maybe it was Twisted Fate or something like that, uh, which was kind of a, her last hit from that period that I remember. And then I okay. completely lost track of her. Other than occasionally she'd pop up on the news for, you know, Greece anniversaries and things like that. But I sure. never stopped liking her, and I still have her greatest hits and the Xanadu albums in my, in my collection. I can get to sleep think about the implications of diving in too deep and possibly the complications especially at night I worry over situations I know we'll be alright perhaps it's just imagination day after day it reappears Night after night, my heartbeat shows the fear. Ghosts appear and fade away. Alone between the sheets only brings exasperation. It's time to walk the streets. I I'm trying I was trying to with this list I was trying to determine if you had sequenced things kind of chronologically within your life but then this jumps ahead a little bit in terms of when it was released so tell me how we're getting into this Colin Hay song cuz this is like the stripped down versions of things from his time at, at within men at work yeah, well, the reason I picked this version of it, which came out later, just because I think it's great. I, his voice and the guitars, it's very stripped down, and I just, I, I think it's my favorite version of that, the song. It's uh, Overkill. Um, but the reason that I picked it was because the, the first concert that I went to and I saw with uh, my, my two friends, Shane and Tim, and Shane's mom brought us to the concert and, and had to sit through it with us. Uh, it was Men at Work uh, at the St. Paul Civic Center um, in probably 83, I'm guessing. And uh, I had been okay. I had been to some shows with my parents when I was younger, but this is the first show of, of an artist that, that I loved that we got to go see. Uh, and, you know, they had, they had two albums that were really, really good. Um, and this was the tour for those two albums, essentially. And so it was the height of Men at Work, and then they went away, and they've always had a soft spot in my heart. I still listen to their music every once in a while, and and Colin Hayes still out there. Um, In fact, he's been playing with the Ringo Starr's All-Star Band for for years now, and I've had a chance to see them live, and he does those Men at Work tunes, and, um, you know, they, they didn't have much of a career, Men at Work, after their initial success with those two albums, but I do believe that they made some the songs that they had that were singles that were that were hits have stood the test of time in a way that not all music from that era has. And so with like where is the, where was the St. Paul Civic Center or like what is that now? It's kind of XL Energy Center. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's it's essentially in the same spot that XL Energy Center is now. 
And, and so was uh, it a lot smaller than that then? Uh, it probably it probably was maybe a little bit smaller, but it was you know okay. it was it was an arena. Uh, the thing I mainly went there for. I mean, I I saw several concerts there as a as a teenager. This specific Colin Hay song, Overkill, um, was this like your favorite Men at Work song that then just is like a, a little bit of a superior version for his like so this solo album of his where he kind of like deconstructed these songs? Or like what, like aside from Land Down Under, like what is like what is another Men at Work song that like you would like gravitate towards? Well, let's see. Who Can It Be Now is a good song. Uh, I love that one. There's a Be Good Johnny is also on their first album, which is quite good. Um, it's a Mistake off of their second album, Cargo, is one of my favorites. Uh, I think that's... I might be missing one, but I think it, that's it for, for the hits for the most part. Okay. And, and Overkill, Overkill was, was probably one of my favorites. Back then, and in, in this do you remember? Do you remember the concert? Like going to see them? Like was it fun? Like did you have good seats? Like what's the vibe like going to a show? Like as a child, like with other kids and like a, like one of their moms. Um, we had horrible nosebleed seats. Yeah. So, so we were way up there, but we were so thrilled to be there. I mean, we walked in. I, I had some sense of what went on in, in that arena, having been to, to the wrestling matches where they had merch tables and things like that, just like a concert. But, you know, to see concert merchandise and uh, just 
all the people there and probably smelling marijuana for the first time um, and being like, you know, I, I know what this is. I don't know why I know what this is, but I do. And, you know, just sitting there with my friend's mom and she was totally cool. She was like, she was younger than a lot of the rest of the, the moms in my friend group. And so she was, if you had to go to a show with the parent, she was a cool parent to go to the she show She was the, with. the cool, the cool mom to go to a show with. For sure, for sure, and uh, okay. yeah, we you know we loved it. We were we were just so giddy about it. You know, we didn't uh, maybe uh, I don't remember if I knew at the time, but you know there was an opening act. It was somebody that we'd never heard of, and just the whole experience of that, and then the lights going down. I, I mean, the the, the the smell in the Civic Center, it, it had a certain uh, a certain smell to it that was mostly like it was concessions that they sold the food they sold, and, and sweat. And yeah, it, I was going to say, a was, civ- that, that sweat and popcorn is like big Civic Center energy right there. Exactly, and it was so that, and, and it just, you know, you know that sense, memory of, of smelling something and being brought right back to a, a point in time. It, it was, it had a, its own very distinct flavor to it, and uh, it, it was a great place to see shows as a kid, and um the show was great, you know, they played all the hits, we were thrilled to have been there, we all bought t-shirts, it was really cool, you know, we felt cool in school the next day, because we'd been in a con- at a concert, and, um, you know, and it's funny, my friends and I, the, my friend that I still am friends with, Shane, who went to that show with me, you know, at the very end of their shows, Colin Hay would say, we are the men, and we will see you again, and that's how they ended the show, and we still say that to each other every once in a while. Oh, that's really charming. Yeah. <laughs> and then we joke, um, we, we never did see them again. <laughs> oh, that's, that's kind of, that's sad. Um, <laughs> do you still, do you still have your concert t-shirt? Does it still fit? Uh, I don't. And boy, I really wish I did. We all, that same friend group, uh, Tim and Shane, we saw Billy Joel live together too. And they, he had the coolest t-shirts that had piano keys down the sleeve and it was a baby blue and I sure wish I still had it although it for sure wouldn't fit. I'm sure that you could get on like Poshmark or eBay or something and try to find that or like a replica <laughs> of it. That's probably true. As you can you can take you can pump the brakes on buying rebuying your vinyl collection and start buying like bootleg old concert t-shirts from when, like the 80s that's uh that's a line that even I probably would not cross a man walks down the street he says why am I soft in the middle now why am I soft in the middle of rest of my life is so hard I need a photo opportunity I want a shot of redemption don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard bone digger, bone digger dogs in the moonlight far away my well-lit door just a beer belly, beer belly get these mutts away from me, you know I don't find this stuff amusing anymore if you be my bodyguard I can be alone Call you Betty, Betty, when you call me, you can call me out. A man walks down the street, he says, why am I short of attention? Gotta 
song. I mean, I was I I smiled when I saw this on here because this is just a fucking iconic song. The video itself, I think, is maybe more iconic or memorable to people of a certain age than this like the the sentiment of the song itself and what struck me with this song is i was listening to it on a walk with my dog and i had never really paid attention to the lyrics before and it's not as whimsical as the music itself would have you believe and the video would have you believe and i was like i i really learned something today about this so tell me about paul simon and the ubiquitous jam you can call me al well when i was in high school that was a hugely popular album uh it was it was just hugely popular, that song in particular. And, uh, you know, remembering back on it now, it's like, it was really, sometimes it's hard to think of of Paul Simon as as being sort of innovative because he's been around for so long and he's such a sort of institution of American music. But for me, when that album came out, just the, the fact that he seemed to be trying to get out as many words as he possibly could before the song was over was really cool and I thought innovative. Like, he just is going, he's going for it on the word count on these songs. Um, but I mean, yeah, have... these are dense, and it's like the this has like the the like the African kind of like Afrobeat pop influence. Like that was I remember the this album was like pretty groundbreaking in terms of the sounds that he was using on it too. Yeah, all of it. It it, it all blended together so well. It was like his his weird stream of consciousness New York sort of thing that he had mixed with that music from Africa that m- most of at least I had never really heard much of before, so it was very new to me. Uh, and I thought it was just absolutely incredible. And, and timing-wise, the reason I, I picked this song is because I, I've been a Paul Simon fan forever. I've seen him live many times. He's made me cry on, on vinyl and in person at shows more times than I can count over the years because his, his songs have, have hit me in a certain spot. Um, but yeah, this, I picked it because it was really popular in high school and it's, it's, I was already into Paul Simon, but it it was, this seems so new and innovative to me that I had a new appreciation for it. And then, uh, the next album that he put out, Rhythm of the Saints, which I think is just as good as Graceland, uh, he was touring for that album and... I was in college then at that point when, when that album was out, and uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Michaela, she and I went off for, uh, we went to college together in Wisconsin, and it was, I think, spring break probably, and we decided to drive to Chicago just for the uh, whim, just because we were on spring break and we were two crazy young kids, so why not? And we, we drove to Chicago, and I think I was getting gas at a gas station in Chicago, and... I, I was like, what, did I see or hear something about Paul Simon playing in town sometime in the near future? And the guy was like, at the gas station, no, he's playing tonight at wherever. Maybe it's just 
And so we drove to where he was doing the concert. We didn't have any tickets or anything. And we walked up and we could hear the first song had started. So um, our timing was pretty good. And we got to the gate and there was like a, we selling stuff outside and we were kind of milling about. And I found the security guy at the gate and I said, uh, is there anywhere I can get tickets? And he's like, no, this is this show's sold out. And I said, my, my girlfriend and I are here, we've driven from Wisconsin, uh, and I may have said Minnesota to, to make it more of a sob story, but we've driven, <laughs> we've driven from Minnesota just hoping we could maybe get tickets to see this show, which was sort of true, although it wasn't our intention to go see the show. It was a coincidence that it was happening, but, you know, once you get your mind set on something and it seems like a really cool idea, you really want to try to see it through. And uh, to, to that security guard's credit, he... He gave me a look like, all right, go on, and he let us in, and so we, oh, wow. we, we got to see we got to see the, the the show. It was outdoors. It was, you know, gorgeous night, um, and he played. You can call me Al on that tour, and he played it. He played it twice back to back because it was so popular. Um, I mean, as soon as they started playing it, everybody there stood up. And then, you know, and he did this at every stop on that particular tour, where he would be like, okay, you guys like that one, so we'll do it again. And then they just played it again, back to back. Was that popular? Uh, but anyway, so I, I can't even I, I can't even fathom that. Like, I've never been to a concert where that's happened before. But I would be kind of like... Yo, let's keep the set list moving. If like <laughs> they started into the same song again, like I that just felt seems that's a little audacious. Like <laughs> it's like, sir, some of us have to get home tonight. Right, and I'm sure in my uh, you know my rose-colored memory of it that it was like everybody was clapping and smiling and standing up all the way through. But meanwhile, the second time, probably halfway through, I was thinking what you just said, which is, um, <laughs> come on, let's get to uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover or something here. <laughs> I want to hear the sound of silence, bro. Come on, let's let's bring the vibe down. <laughs> uh, you don't fall and you can call me how with sounds of silence. That's <laughs> to REM and are we like still college years for you with this one this is actually uh, this is actually when I was in high school right right toward okay. the end of high school and okay. uh, this is this is when I started playing music with my friends in high school and we would play school dances and things like that and we were really trying to be a band in high school it was important to us and we loved R.E.M. just because their style of music, I think, was kind of in our wheelhouse. But we also loved the fact that 
it seemed like they were writing and playing super simple songs. It wasn't it wasn't sort of like the virtuosity of Betty Van Halen or whatever. It was just good, seemingly simple, well written songs with uh, really cool vocal harmonies and things like that. And it was sort of for us it was inspirational because we really thought you know. It, it can be easy and we can play to our ability and still be a decent band um, because look at what REM is doing and I, I don't mean that as an insult in any way because I think that a lot of their stuff uh, throughout much of their career was great so I mean yeah the, I mean this is an older tune and there's it's like their stuff got a lot more complicated for a while in terms of the arranging but so with life's rich pageant um and fall on me of rem's material is this just kind of like an access point where you were like i can make similar music like in terms of like a jangly kind of guitar music yeah it was yeah okay. for sure and also i had friends that you know, I was I was getting into the Beatles in high school, and of course I listened to Top 40 radio from that time at that time. But uh, in terms of developing my musical taste for, for what I liked, a lot of my friends were ahead of me. Because I had friends that were into The Cure before I was, and U2, and like they discovered some bands that I love now that I think are great. Um, that I just wasn't, wasn't finding on my own at that time. And I had... Um, I had liked R.E.M. and I had two friends that got tickets to see them at uh, Roy Wilkins Center, which was the small oh, theater. The <laughs> historic Roy Wilkins Auditorium. Yes, I have been there. Yeah, that's the one. And uh, and, and we saw R.E.M. I forget which tour it would have been, but it would have. It was right around when Fall on Me was kind of a quasi sort of small uh, college radio hit for them. seen them more than the one time or kind of like did you follow their career as they kind of matured up to a certain point or like what is your relationship now to rem uh i love i love all the old stuff all the way up through uh probably automatic for the people i don't think i listened to too much after that but yeah i i stayed with them uh for most of the time that they were together though a lot few of the last albums I, I bought just because I liked having everything, but I didn't like them as much. Um, but yeah, I saw R.E.M. Uh, with 
Wilco, I think, at what used to be the, the former uh, St. Paul Saints Stadium. That was phenomenal. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, I saw them play out there. I, I forget if it was when they played with Wilco or if it was a different time, but they, they played outdoors at the, the Saints Stadium out there. And a, a thunderstorm started towards the end of the show or at the end of the show because it became the end. And they did. It's the end of the world as we know it. As this thunderstorm was going on, and it was, everybody there was drenched in rain. It was such a perfect live musical moment, and they just... The band knew how to, to take advantage of it, and it was just one of those magical concert experiences. Except for the walk back to the car, which sucked. Oh, I bet. Um, I So, I love R.E.M. I would argue that some of their music, to, after a certain point, is, like, what you said, kind of of diminishing returns in terms of, like... They were just making albums kind of, I think, like for the sake of making albums and they don't have much substance, I don't think. So I'm kind of glad they called it a day when they did and are not like are not just shitting out new music every once in a while. That's really uninteresting. And they aren't like touring on like a greatest hits package and like come see us play the hits or whatever. It's just like they're done done. And I do appreciate that about them. And, yeah, fingers crossed, they've stayed done, which is great. I mean, good for them. The, the legacy of all the stuff they did is great. But then, of course, as a music fan, you know, I think I think this about the talking heads all the time. It seems like they, you know, don't necessarily, the band and David Byrne don't necessarily like each other anymore. So, but, you know, if they, if they were playing and I had a chance to go see them, I, I bet I would love to go see them. I feel like REM, there's not enough money in the world to get them back together. <laughs> I hope that's true. And it's not that they, I, and it's not, and it's not that it, they they all like each other. I think so because they put out those really elaborate reissues for like the 25th anniversary of every album. Right. And right. so like they have to go through and like listen to all the mastering and like write the liner notes and like those are all like endorsed by all the members of the band still but i just don't think like they're friends i just don't think they want to play as a band anymore and i really do respect that they're not out here just trying to cash some check or whatever yeah i agree with that about rem or do you want to scoot into the, the the last of kind of the oldies that is on this list 
Let's hit the last of the oldies. I forget what, what I. And saw. this is and so it's funny that it's funny that you picked this song by the replacements because and you said you had never listened to a uh, different episode like another episode of the this podcast before because somebody else who I interviewed picked this very same replacement song and so it's just interesting that this is like sometimes the uh, the same artists make appearances on this show and it's always fascinating to me to see the overlap in people that i speak with whether like i know them personally or they're like a songwriter that i've befriended on twitter and i can ask them to come on the show but it's like it's just cool that different people like different people from different pockets of like that i know like like the same music but also picked the same song so you picked left of the dial so where are we with you in your life with the replacements well that's that's when i went to college and that was the band we listened to the replacements and rem and the pixies and the cure were i mean pretty much every party i went to i i feel like those bands were sort of the soundtrack of the parties uh to a great extent and uh, the replacements just everything about uh, everything about all of their albums and the slow stuff, the, the sensitive stuff, the loud, fast, obnoxious, everything appealed to me that they did, and I, I thought they were brilliant. And so I I was turned on to them in college, and they were a great band to listen to then. And, and you could be in any mood, and you could find something on one of their albums that would fit that for you. Like farewell tour, what like when they played like the last the last concert at that old Saint Stadium? I did. I uh, I, okay. I did see them, and uh, the whole study opened for them. And I, I again when I was in radio, I interviewed Craig Finn before and uh, to talk just pretty much about his love for the replacement since they were opening for for that homecoming show, and that was a, a great treat to be able to talk to him about that and to hear about his fandom of the band and, and how excited he was to be on the same stage that they were on. But yeah, I, I that was one I really didn't want to miss. I never got to see them in the heyday and uh, I went to that show. I got there early. I stood towards the front and it was probably 
I still think of it as probably the best experience for a live show that I've seen just because it everybody was so sentimental and into it and uh, singing along with it and, and Left to the Dial was, was one of the main songs that I still remember everybody singing along to and it was just a, you know a beautiful kind of fall night and the, the sound just of the whole crowd singing along and rising up into the air and that beautiful night was a wonderful experience. So that's kind of why I took that one. And also, you know, the, the lyrics, it, it's a little bit about, you know, being, being young, being in a band, traveling around college radio. And uh, it, it, it just really hit me in a lot of, a lot of the right places at that time hearing it again all these years later and having everybody sing along, it felt like, you know, that's one of the great things about a concert, is that bonding experience of everybody, everybody seeing and hearing something they love. It's a great experience. Yeah. Before, I mean, before the pandemic, did you go to a lot of shows, like, in the, in the cities, like, regardless of if it was you were covering it for the news or not? I've been I've been going to shows more lately, and now after the, the the pandemic, now that it's safer for us to go to shows, I've been trying to see as many as I can. So, okay. um, yeah, I uh, I took I took my daughter to her first show at First Avenue. We went and saw Snail Mail not that long ago. Oh, I like Snail Mail. Yeah. Um, and I I'm heavily into Snail Mail. I I love that Valentine album and. Uh, yeah, they, they were great to see live. I was really glad that, uh, to be able to bring my daughter to a show where, you know, the front the front person is a young woman who's just a great guitar player and a great songwriter and a great stage presence. And um, frankly, I'm probably more into snail mail than my daughter is, but she, she loved the show and had a great time.
Um, well, I guess this is a nice segue to get to kind of like the two more modern or like contemporary tunes on this list. And so you put Phoebe Bridgers on here and Scott Street from Stranger in the Alps. And so have you been into Phoebe Bridgers like since she kind of came up in 2017 or like what is your relationship to to her? Because this is kind of how we reconnected on the Internet. We started talking about sad young white women making sad music for sad white people yeah. and so i'm i'm so fascinated to hear your connection with this one first of all i think she's she's my favorite artist right now probably uh other than than taylor swift that i listen to the most frequently and uh i just think like even even trying to narrow down one particular song of hers that i'd want to hear was difficult for me because i just she her music is just uh, hits me somewhere, but um, I think where it started from was she was a, ge- a musical guest on SNL and she did a song from uh, The Punisher, uh, and it's called Kyoto, and I almost never liked the live music on SNL, not because of the artist, but usually because the sound is so horrible. Oh yeah, the mixing for TV is terrible. Yeah, like famously terrible. Yeah, and I, so I know it's not necessarily the band's fault that, that I, you know, that they don't sound the best. But uh, it was Kyoto, and I just thought it was a catchy song. And I asked my son about Phoebe Bridgers, and he's like, "Oh yeah, um, yeah, people people know who she is. She's good." And then I think I just got a couple tunes of hers on Spotify, and then I bought her albums, and now I. I mean, I listen to it all the time.
everything she puts her voice to, I, I tend to like. And I, again, I'm, I'm very much a lyric person, and I, I usually like uh, what I would say are more upbeat and, and, and peppier pop numbers. I, I do like those quite a bit, but her, her music is so atmospheric and just right for the lyrics, and her, her words are just, they can be so specific, and, and yet she hits on points that are universal enough like all great songwriters to make it feel like i can feel what she's trying to make me feel right now which is what yeah. a great power that is i um did you go see her when she was playing at surly like in 2021 i i i didn't and i i, I wish i okay. would have i did see her live uh almost similar to my paul simon story my family took a trip to new york last summer and I took a look uh, two days before we left to see who was going to be in New York while we were there, if anybody interesting was. And then Phoebe Bridgers was going to be playing in Brooklyn, as luck would have it, on the night that we flew in. So we flew in. Oh, wow. We flew into New York. I took the cab to Brooklyn and saw her play outdoors uh, in in Brooklyn. And and again, it was one of those experiences where it, it's just such a wonderful shared thing. I at that time a year ago didn't probably know all the words to every song like everybody else in the crowd did but it was just wonderful everybody everybody was uh everybody was together and feeling something and appreciating the moment and it, it felt especially after the pandemic when you couldn't see shows it feels like a real gift to be out among people and to feel that good. Did you get tickets to the Eras tour? I uh, I did. I only had to mortgage uh, second put a second mortgage on the house to do it. <laughs> yeah, I I can't I can't tell you how how frustrating that was because I'm not only have I purchased things from her website and I'm like a member of the the email list and I had the right credit card to be pre-verified and I had all the right things. I didn't get it didn't get verified for tickets. I didn't even when they did a like a friend of mine got a second chance, you know, a month ago and was able to get tickets for a reasonable price. I had to get them on the secondary market. Uh, I'm I'm thankful because the ticket that I got was the lowest price that I've seen on there. But I'm totally in the, the nosebleeds. I just want to be in the building. 
where? So what night are you going? Are you going the first night or the second night? I'm going the first night. Okay. See, I had I had registered to be to get the verification code for this when there wasn't a Friday night show and it was just the Saturday night show. And so my verification was only for Saturday. And so I did get tickets for Saturday. I waited in line on ticketmaster.com for six hours to make it happen somehow through the, the truly like the, the blessings that were funneled in somehow I got in, but I am jealous of people who got the Friday night tickets because they, she has better openers that night. Oh yeah. Um, But, but so I'm just also thankful to be going like, I can't, I really should just be grateful that this worked out in my favor as much as it did. But so Taylor Swift and Mirrorball, were you a fan of Taylor Swift before she hit this like pandemic like streak of being so prolific and making this kind of like introspective folk leaning album? Like what is your relationship to her in terms of the like how she's come through her career? This is how it happened for me. I was working uh, in radio at the time and we were we rented space in the building where all the iHeartMedia folks are. So uh, one of the one of the folks that I know there had uh, tickets for the reputation tour and said, uh, you know, do you, would you go? And I said, yeah, I think, you know, my daughter probably would go. I didn't honestly know anything about Taylor Swift other than her name and that she was popular when I got the tickets for the show. So I started listening to her a little bit and uh, my daughter was excited to go. I mean, she wasn't a huge Taylor Swift fan, but she knew, I mean, it's gonna be a spectacle, whatever. And uh, when, I, when I walked out of the U.S. Bank Stadium after the show, I was a 100% a Taylor Swift fan. I couldn't believe the spectacle. You're a, you're, you were, you were, you're, you're a Swifty from, since that moment? Yeah, for sure. I couldn't believe the spectacle of the show itself. I'd never seen a concert on that scale that was just so, like, just so technically well done, and, you know, everybody had the glowing wristbands, and it was like, it was it was a feast for the senses, and, you know, and, and what I came to learn after that show, I started buying uh, her records, and I, I stayed away from the first few. I started with 1989, which I think is a great pop album. I love that album and then, so that was after seeing the show I mean that was kind of the proof for me was I got this album and I loved it and so then I got the Reputation album uh, and Lover when it came out and and, and then the, the pandemic stuff I mean folklore uh, was was really important to me in listening to throughout the pandemic and, and feeling having a place to to let your mind wander a little bit and, and just connect with something else other than reality. It was, for me, folklore was great. And I, I just, it was catchy, it was poppy, but it was also, in a lot of ways, understated. And the, you know, Justin Vernon duets, ama- it's just, it's amazing, I think. And so, yeah, I, I was going to see the Eras tour for sure because she's finally going to be able to play those songs live. Uh, and and everything she's done since then I've loved too. Even Midnight's, which I didn't love at first, 
uh, I listened to a ton and finally kind of found my groove with that one so that I love that one as well. Midnight's is, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's difficult to access, but like, it is a lot. Like, it's dense. It's um, kind of murky. Like, literally, the production is very murky sometimes. And so, like, the songs just have, like, a little bit of a harder vibe to kind of just, like, throw yourself right into. Yeah. It, but, I, but yeah, it, it found me eventually. And, and it's, you know, I, don't, I maybe don't pay as close attention to it because it's definitely kind of like you say. It's, it, it's a groove record. It, de- it, it definitely has a, a groove to it almost, almost throughout. It's consistent. Um, but it, it, it's a good groove, and it, it's one that kind of warrants, I don't want to say that it's good background music, but it, it is. And I mean that as a compliment. Taylor Swift joints that you could have picked from like you diving into her discography after going to see her show Mirrorball from Folklore so like obviously Folklore was big for you as it was for a lot of people during the pandemic I mean this album and the Phoebe Bridgers album Punisher fucking held me down (laughs) during the summer of 2020 Um, but so what was it about this one specifically Uh, I'm kind of a it's kind of a moronic of me to come onto a podcast and pick a song to talk about and not have a good answer for that question. I just, I, I, <laughs> I just love that song. I, the first time I heard it, it just sounded so cool to me. And I just, every time I've played it since then, I never get sick of it. It's just one of those songs. And, and I, I love that whole album, but for some reason that song just is always entertaining to me. I do. I mean, this one, this one is like, so with that album, it's like, I'd say like, I'd say a little less than half of it is Jack Antonoff production. And so this is one of the Antonoff joints. Right. And it's just like that looped guitar at the beginning. It's like, it's almost like it's, I, when I was writing about this album, when it came out, it's kind of like Mazzy Star. It's like this hazy kind of guitar-based music that I was really surprised that she was experimenting with. It's like, you could just kind of sway in, per- like, sway in, like, stand in one place with your eyes closed and just kind of, like, let it wash over you. Yeah. It has that feeling to it. And I love her, I love her vocal on that one, too, uh, and... It's funny you say that, because I, I always thought that about this 
uh, Lover, the song Lover 2, is, is totally Mazzy Star, and I wonder... Oh, yeah, for sure. I wonder if that's, you know... I mean, it's got... Everything she does is so intentional, I would think it must be. She's she's somewhere like listening to fade into you for the millionth time, being like, okay, how can I how can I get this into my stuff? Exactly. I was sitting in a crummy movie with my hands on my chin. Thank you. Oh, the violence that occurs seemed like we never win. taking a step back with like the time with this one but we're closing with brian wilson so tell me about your relationship to brian wilson and the beach boys and love and mercy i've loved the beach boys since uh, i was in my probably mid-20s uh that sounds okay i thought was great and i've i've tried to do and hear everything Beach Boys that I could. I mean, I, I've been off the Beach Boys for a little while because it, it was so many years where I was so into them that, you know, it would only, it, it would, it'd be crazy if I didn't lose some interest at some point. But, uh, yeah, Brian Wilson's music is, I just think it's beautiful, it's emotional, it's, um, it, it's just pleasing to the ear or not pleasing to the ear in a way that's just very emotional. And um, I picked Love and Mercy just because I, I really love the, the melody and the message of that song. It's just such a sweet, simple message of just be good to people and, and, and love people. And that's kind of why I picked it as a, as a closer. Um, my daughter and I watched the movie Love and Mercy about Brian Wilson, and we, she loves the song, so it's got kind of a sentimental spot in my heart for that as well. Um, and then also I was talking to my wife, Michaela, about, uh, you know, making a list for the songs or whatever. And she, for my birthday one year, bought me a ticket to go see Brian Wilson. And it was his first, like, solo tour of him kind of having his act together and being with a good band and being out there on the road. So I was like, I never in my life would have thought I would have had an opportunity to see Brian Wilson live. Because he just didn't seem like he was... Um, you know, stable enough to, to do it mentally. Uh, yeah. And so we went to see him in Minneapolis again. I forget if it was like the stage or the parking or something like that. And he, he uh, that's probably and big he, enough that that was at the Orpheum. Yeah. It was great. It was just, I loved it. And then there was one point in the show when he came to sit at the piano and it was just him and he started playing Love and Mercy. And that was my favorite song. And uh, I was standing up and I, you know, I, I hooted for, you know, for joy at the concert. <laughs> and unfortunately, it was super quiet in the theater at that particular time. And I think we were close enough that he heard that. 
And he very soon after that stopped playing, got up and walked off stage. And, and my wife and I have been talking about it ever since. We joke about it once in a while. Like, hey, do you remember that time I scared the hell out of Brian Wilson and made him walk off stage? Um, I don't know if that's actually why he walked off stage, but that's the family folklore. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Did he come back out? Yeah. Or is he, that the end of the no, show? No, he, he did come back out. It, that wasn't the end, but he hadn't been in, he hadn't been entirely finished with the song if he was expecting to play the full version of the song that night. So it was very awkward and weird, and my wife gets a huge kick out of that. All the loneliness in this world, well, it's just not fair. as an epilogue to that story, I did get to interview Brian Wilson uh, a number of years back, and um, as a musical hero of mine and somebody who's music, you know, I, I hate to say worship, but boy, when it comes to loving and enjoying music, it, it comes pretty close to worship for some of the stuff that he's done over the course of his life, and to have an opportunity to tell him uh, on behalf of other people who wouldn't have the the chance to talk to him and tell him this, that, that his music has meant so much to me, was uh, personally very satisfying to me. So, and I wanted to. Did I you to did you did you did you apologize for the hooting? Uh, no, that I I didn't want to scare him in the interview, so I kept it pretty simple. <laughs> You're like. Do you remember when you played in, in Minneapolis? I'm sure you do, because you're, you're like, you, your memory is good and you're doing well. Uh, a guy who did, that was me, so yeah. I'm very sorry. He would get up, like, he'd be like, the interview is over and get up and leave. I've always tried to tell myself deep down, like, there's no way I had anything to do with you. It was just a coincidence, but uh, I don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> um. Is there anything else that we want to cover before we wrap up, or have we talked about everything that you wanted to get to with your two? I think we've talked about everything. Next time I, uh, I, I'm, I realized that there was a very, that I it was not super diverse in terms of uh, different people and musicians that I like, and I was thinking about that as I looked at the list later, and I, I would, I would like to talk about Lizzo or Janelle Monet or Sudan Archives, uh, which I've also been listening to a lot lately, and also helped get me through the pandemic. So that, uh, if you ever have me on again, I've got you know dozens more we could talk about. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean like people could like people could bring on whatever they want to with this, like with their lists. And this was like a fascinating journey through time from the start of your life until like <laughs> relatively recently. So I, I'm appreciative of the time and effort that people put into these and like, this is great. So thank you so much for coming up with like a thoughtful list and having these stories and moments to share. My pleasure. You're great. I love talking to you. It's so good to talk to you again. So oh, thank you. Yeah, let's, thank you. Please let's do it again soon. Um, 
so I know that you are no longer a newsman, but like, do you have any, like, are you active on social media or are you just like lurking and reading my cries for help? Do you have anything to promote before we like end the interview? Um, I don't have anything to promote. I'm, I'm totally at this point a lurker. I just pretty much keep my nose down and, uh, and do my work and, uh, maybe at some point down the road. Um, if I if I develop a, a podcast of my own, which seems inevitable, right? Everybody will have one, and I love them. You know, so. well, I mean, what? It's it's one thing when you're like, I have one podcast. It's another thing when you're like, now I have two podcasts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, it, to me, it is. It, it's it's radio. It, it's I love listening to podcasts, and and uh, and I'm really. Uh, grateful and, and honored that you asked to chat with me on yours because I've enjoyed it. Oh, of course, man! Like we had a blast when we worked at the station together. So it was like a perfect, like a perfect guest to have on to just like chop it up <laughs> in like a fun, intelligent way about tunes. Thank you. My thanks again to my guest Scott Peterson for coming onto the show for coming up with a list of tunes to chat about and for sharing the stories behind those songs. And thank you for listening. I really do appreciate you all being here every time there's a new episode. This has been the Anhedonic Headphones Podcast. I have been Kevin Krein. Please rate, review, like, follow, subscribe, all the things you do with podcasts. Consider doing them with this podcast. I am a music writer and an essayist. You can find all of my writing, music, and otherwise on my website, which is entering its 10th year, which is wild to think about. Talk about life comes at you fast. It's anhedonicheadphones.blogspot.com. You can follow me on social media for my cries for help and photos of my dog, respectively. Those are on Twitter and Instagram, where I am at Kev E. Fly. And I would strongly encourage you to listen to the podcast that I co-host every other Monday with my friend Alyssa Savino. It is called A Reasonable Day, and it is available wherever fine podcasts are sold. Thank you again. Until next time, I hope you are doing as well as you can be in the world. I'll see you later. Bye.